It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 931- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and welcome to the virtual bible study for thursday march the 26th we're glad you're out there listening uh, over the internet and we look forward to your participation in our program tonight As always on uh, the Virtual Bible Study, we're interested in what the Bible has to say on important spiritual subjects. We're looking to God's Word to get answers for our our daily life and for our eternity. And we uh, hope that we can talk about some things that will be informative and helpful to you. But we'd like your participation, too. We always are seeking your input. Uh, The contact info is uh, the same as it's been for a long time. You can call us and get right on the program with us. We've got a toll-free number, 877-381-4567. Or you can send us an email, and we try to keep up with our emails throughout the program. Uh, The email address is questions at collegeview.com. As we've been trying for the last several weeks, we've got sort of a new feature up. Uh, There's a there's a chat room available as you watch uh, the uh, proceedings here on Ustream.tv. If you look there, if you go and click on that window uh, where our video is appearing, there's also information there where you can go to a chat room where you'll be able to both watch and have a live chat with other listeners. We don't monitor that, so uh, you all behave yourself if you go into that chat room. But uh, you, you can uh, join the chat room crowd there if you want to do that. And the address for the chat room is right there on the screen as you're watching. I think also if you look at that uh, menu button and go to the show page, you can get to the chat room. So either way, uh, join in the chat there. Um, something new we're trying this week, uh, we're sending out Twitter updates. I guess they're called tweets, Jim. Uh, we're sending out some some uh, updates weekly on the program, the topic, the study questions we're going to be considering. And so if you're a Twitterer and you'd like to follow us on Twitter, uh, you can do that. Uh, we are the Virtual Bible Study on Twitter. Look us up and, and uh, follow us, and we'll be sending updates regularly via Twitter. So there's all kind of technology out there. On our program tonight, my friend Jim Walsh from Mount Pleasant is here to join with us. Jim, welcome. Thank you very much, Greg. Thank you for having me. Jim is a regular participant on the virtual Bible study, especially by way of his uh, email participations almost every week, and we always appreciate that. But uh, we're glad to have him in studio tonight to join in the discussion. Uh, Jacob is uh, involved in uh, a gospel meeting effort in in another place, and so he's not able to be with us tonight. So Jim is filling in. He's the co-pilot. As you see, I'm in the pilot seat over here, and I'm never very comfortable with that. We hope we don't have any technical snafus tonight. We'll do our best to keep the stream going. Um, Earlier this week, when I contacted Jim uh, about being on the program, I said, uh, have you got a topic that you think would be interesting for discussion this week? And Jim, you suggested the idea of talking about God's providence. Right. Uh, You know, I think it's an idea that we, we 
see in the scriptures and oftentimes the words, the phrases used in the scriptures to describe God's providence, we just seem to kind of pass over them. And uh, for one reason or another, we just don't discuss it enough. And so uh, I thought that might be a good idea. You know, as we were talking just before the program, Jim, when you stop to think about all the things that God has to oversee, all the things that he has to keep working, all the pieces that he has to keep working in conjunction with one another, it's, it's well, of course, our, our finite minds couldn't even begin to comprehend it all. We couldn't keep track of a, of a infinitesimal fraction of the things that God is doing, but he is constantly working toward our well-being. And I think as we'll see on the program tonight, the... the and I don't know if you can totally break it down into two basic categories, but certainly there's God's care for us in the material, physical world. And then there's how he cares for us spiritually and the provisions that he makes for us uh, in our spiritual lives. It's just amazing. It's incredible. Well, and, and one really leads to the other. The, when you think about the material realm, that's part of the evidence that God provides um, you know, just maybe as an example, you look at a passage in the book of Acts in Acts chapter 14 when Paul and Barnabas are on their first missionary journey and they're in the area of Lystra. And Paul is speaking and he says in verse 17 of Acts 14, nevertheless, he left not himself without witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and the fruitful seasons filling our hearts with food and gladness. Well, you know, here are some just basic necessities of life in providing uh, rain so that crops can grow so that we can have food. And Paul's point in that is this is part of the process that God has provided in creation, but it also demonstrates a character quality of God that he is good and that he cares for us exactly right uh and again when you think of the magnitude of that caring and that concern it's amazing especially considering our unworthiness considering what and uh, not to overstate the case but i think it's a fair word i think paul used the word in romans we're wretched beings uh you know paul said oh wretched man that i am right and considering our wretchedness and that god would care enough for us uh, to make provision is is really an amazing thing. Earlier today, I sent out as I always do on our uh, to our update list, and also I sent these out on Twitter. By the way, so if you uh, want to get your updates by Twitter, you can do that now. Sent out these study questions. We want to cover these and more topics about providence. I said define God's providence. We're going to talk about that here, and, and I've really already started to discuss that. Number one, define God's providence. Number two, give Bible examples of God's providence at work. And then number three, how do we harmonize God's providence with the fact that there's so much suffering in the world? If God's taking care of things, how come there is suffering? I think that's a question a lot of people struggle with. And then number four, what means, methods, elements, people, et cetera, might be used by God providentially? And so we want to hear your answers to those questions. If you've not emailed us already, do that. Or get on the phone and give us a call. We'll try to monitor the email. We'll also be glad to take your phone call. Let us know what you think. Let's talk about this definition of providence. And, Jim, we've already sort of started down that road. Um, I thought uh, Anthony in Columbia sent a a pretty good um, um, note on the definition of providence. He says, it's interesting to note that the word providence only occurs once in the King James Version of the Bible, Acts 24, verse 2. And there it's not a reference to God. Right. Um, this, of course, does not mean that the word should not be used in the way that we use it today. When we say providence today, I think we usually mean the idea of Romans eight twenty-eight. Let's look at those couple of verses in um, in Acts chapter twenty-four and verse two. That's uh, 
from the section of Acts where Paul has been arrested and he's trying to, the, the Jews are trying to bring charges against him, although they've not been able to do it. They don't have any legitimate charge to bring against Paul. And so they, they are called before um, the governor, Felix, and uh, the, the, uh, the, their attorney. Right, so this this fellow Tertullus is uh-huh. actually the one, and he's addressing the, uh, the Felix, right? Yeah. He's addressing Felix, and he's talking about Felix's ability to provide. Right, he's 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 actually sort of the attorney for the accusing Jews. Yeah. He's buttering him up. Is he's what trying he's doing. to. That's yeah. right. He's trying to butter up the governor, and he uh, he uh, says, uh, seeing that by thee we enjoy great quietness, and that ve- and that very worthy deeds are done unto this nation by thy providence. We accept it always in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. As you say, he's using that to sort of butter up or flatter the governor. But he uses the word the governor. He says, you have you have given us great benefits or blessings by your providence. You've been taking care of us, right, so to speak. Right, right, right. And that's the general idea of the word. Well, I think it is. And, you know, of course, we break the word down. We could say the idea of providing. But maybe one reason that we only find the word in the English is because it deals with the end result that we have been provided for. We have received something. And part of what the Bible does, part of what God does in revealing his word unto us is show us all the little things that lead up to that. So there are other words like to take thought for, to know about, to foresee, to foreknow. We have more um, evidence in, in dealing with that. And uh, unless you have a verse that you're thinking about, I think one, I've got a verse that maybe would, would illustrate that concept on the day of Pentecost. Again, you know, how many lessons have we heard in our lifetime in dealing with the wonderful message of Jesus as the Christ, as Peter is privileged to be inspired to unfold that message. But one of the things he begins with is letting the, the hearers on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem know that none of these things happened without the knowledge of God. And he says that in verse 23 of Acts chapter 2. He says, um, actually, we can back up to verse 22. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs. Now, again, that would be one of the ways that God provided evidence through the miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. Him... Being delivered, delivered by, and I'm reading from the King James Version, the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. You have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Part of what Peter is dealing with in this and then also talking about David is the providence of God, that uh, these things came to this particular conclusion because God already knew what was going to happen. He foresaw what was going to happen. And when you think about it. He the, thought about it ahead of time. Oh, he, yeah. He knew how this was supposed to be, and he brought it to pass. Well, you know, again, you know, maybe sometimes lots of different passages come to mind. But when you think about, you know, Paul talking about the, the revelation of the gospel and how that God had provided for it before the world began, that's part of the, the concept of his foreknowledge. And then having that knowledge, his then making provision for us. But when we look at such passages as this in Acts chapter 2, you know, it lays bare the false concept that some teach that, you know, Jesus came to establish the kingdom, but then was thwarted by the Jews. So instead, he established the church, and later on, he's going to come and establish the kingdom. 
No, God knew what was going to happen and God provided for it. It wasn't as if Jesus came and then, oops, I made a mistake type thing. God knew ahead of time. You know, when you think about someone doing something, even among individuals, if someone does something for you and you realize that they had put a lot of thought into it, that they had planned it and they'd prepared for it. In other words, instead of just doing something random on the spur of the moment, if you see that someone did something kind toward you and it it included a lot of planning and forethought, it's it's more meaningful. Right. And if it's more meaningful to us about what other people would do, we ought to really be thankful for all the the, the forethought and planning that God has put into the care and, and provision he provides for us. I've got an email come in from Amanda, and she, I think, includes a quote here from McClintock. says, the term providence derives from the Latin providentia, signifying foresight. The word is used to denote the biblical idea of the wisdom and power which God continually exercises in the preservation and government of the world for the ends which he proposed to accomplish. And so uh, there's a good... uh, uh, well, not exactly a dictionary definition, but sort of, of the idea of providence. Thank you, Amanda, for sending that in. Uh, I didn't finish uh, Anthony's email. He suggests that maybe a real good verse uh, that shows the idea of what God is doing is at, uh, Romans 8. Romans 8, verse 28. We know that all things work together for good to, to, to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. God makes things work together to to our good, to accomplish what he wants for us. Now, I think that's something we want to talk about a little later as we get into this. What God wants for us is not always what we obviously might, uh, you know, think. Right. And, and I, I think what's going to happen, you know, I'm, I'm not a prophet, obviously, but I think what's going to happen is once you begin to uncover this information in the Bible, there's so much information there. This may end up being a two-parter. You know, this might be something where, you know, people are going to have lots of questions. And I think one of the reasons is because we do see all the planning that God unfolds in his word, the evidence of all the planning that has gone into taking care of us in a spiritual sense and then in just the general material realm taking care of us there you think about the concept of creation itself the idea that each seed replicates after its own kind that's still what's going on today you know if you get a a wheat seed and you put it in the ground you're getting wheat so there's a guarantee that what god began with respect to creation is still going to continue today and we can depend upon that exactly right that that's one thing about it that's amazing is that it's it's uh, repeatable, verifiable, and consistent, can be depended upon. Uh, Mike in Indiana says providence is God's divine plan at work, God providing for mankind his needs. And Keith in Old Hickory, Tennessee, says uh, it's God caring for us by working in our lives to direct our paths. Um, so th- there's some definitions that have come in. And I think that they're pretty good. I think that that's given us a handle on the idea of providence. Um, We might stress that God can do this in lots of ways. And and historically, he's worked in various ways. But today we believe that what we're talking about is not a miraculous manifestation of God's work. We might get into that a little bit more. Uh, Here's a – something's getting hot. Oh, okay. We'll get to that in just a minute. Uh, I hope it's not some of our equipment heating up here, but I smell something hot. But uh, anyway, uh, here's a good working definition. The preservation, care, and government which God exercises over all things that he has created 
in order that they may accomplish the end for which they were created. Right. So uh, we'll think about that as a working definition. We're going to go to our first break. Get in on these uh, questions. We're going to go to question two. Give some good Bible examples of providence at work. And we'll be back right after this break. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. Wow, this Internet thing is really growing. And what could be better than using the Internet for Bible study? I guess that's what they were thinking when they dreamed up the virtual Bible study. Good idea, don't you think? My name is Rick Harris, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. I hope you'll join me and many others in this weekly Internet Bible study group. Be sure to listen every Thursday night. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. And we're back. We're having uh, we're not having any technical troubles, Jim. I think we've got maybe a furnace that's on the on the blink and uh, heating up and giving us a, a little smell of something yeah, getting hot probably. here. So uh, uh, we'll see if we can tend to that as we continue our discussion of of providence, Jim. Before the program started, and you and I were talking, you had what I think constituted some really good examples of God's providence. Uh, uh, let me qu- first read these emails, and then then I want I want you to go through that list that you had suggested. Just a, a number of examples in the Bible of of God knowing ahead of time, taking care and provision to provide for situations in lots of people's lives. Uh, Keith says uh, concerning Bible examples, is this is somewhat of a harder differentiation to make, being that God works so miraculously in Bible times, sometimes it's difficult to maintain the difference. I think perhaps a good example of providence was how God intervened in the life of Paul to ascertain that he made it to Rome to preach his word. Okay, getting Paul to Rome to right. preach. Would right. be, that's a good example. It's an it. excellent example. Um, uh, Mike in Indiana says, uh, he uh, every prophecy in the Bible, God saw that what was ahead and planned accordingly that his will would be done. He even works in the lives of individuals, as in the case of Joseph. We'll comment about Joseph, Genesis 37 through 45. We can see the providence of God from the fall of man in Genesis through his redemption in Revelation. Uh, Anthony says the appearance of the ram when Abraham was about to sacrifice Isaac. He says, or was this miraculous? Moses being taken in by a royal family, Esther becoming queen, the meeting of Rachel and Jacob, the meeting of Isaac and Rebekah. I wonder if we would also consider providence working in a negative way. That is Lot choosing the better land out of greed and then ultimately paying the price for it. Hmm, something to think about there. So those folks have suggested some, some I think, good Bible examples. Uh, talk to those, Jim, some of them that you uh, were thinking about earlier. Well, yeah, it just went through the list, so I've got nothing I can look at. Well, I think one of the simpler ones, because it really is laid out for us, is the situation with, with Joseph. You know, we have the the son uh, of Israel there that he is sold into bondage, and, of course, he goes into Egypt, and he just has a terrible, terrible time, first with Potiphar and then being in prison and all those things. And so then later on, he's second in charge to all of Egypt uh, under Pharaoh. And when his brothers then come down into Egypt to buy corn because there, there's a famine in the in the land of Israel. They meet up with their long lost brother, and when we get to Genesis chapter 45, he says, beginning in verse five. Now, therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in the which there shall neither be earning nor harvest. 
God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. You know, it's it's no wonder that Joseph ends up being such a wonderful shadow of Christ to be to be sold into bondage, so to speak, and then his going before to prepare a place. You know, it's not difficult to think about Jesus himself in John 14 when he says to the apostles, you know, I go before you to prepare a place for you. So we see the concept that men acted according to their own will. But God knew ahead of time what they were going to do. And so we see the outcome is, as we had read earlier in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it worked out to good. Yeah, when you think about it, uh, you have to think God doesn't, God does not order every single act or event. Uh, people are not puppets on strings. We're not pre-programmed by God to do certain things. For instance, in the case of Joseph, think of the events that were caused by evil men. Right. Uh, his brothers sold him because of their envy and jealousy. They sold him as a slave. Potiphar's wife, because she lusted after him, falsely accused him. In prison, uh, he was mistreated, uh, being forgotten by the bake, the butler, I guess it was, right. who forgot right. him after he'd promised to take care of him. Uh, he was suffering there under false accusation. God was able to overrule all of those events to bring about his will and accomplish what he wanted with Joseph in Egypt. Well, and again, you know, we can we can look at this example. We can go back to the one we dealt with in the book of Acts with respect to Jesus and Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. And what we find is that no matter what men do, they cannot undo the will of God, no matter what men decide to do. You know, we live in, in a very finite uh, existence in that uh, we are we are. Uh, limited to this flesh and blood. We don't know what God knows. We were talking during the break about the when we define the nature of God, his omnipotence, his omniscience, his omnipresence, his ability in thinking about omniscience to know all things. Well, you go to a passage like, say, uh, I think it's in Philippians. I want to say Philippians chapter uh, 4 where Paul talks about the ability of God to make provision for all things, uh, verse 19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Well, in order for God to be able to supply, God has to know ahead of time what it is we're going to need. You know, if you were to put that in just a very simple material example, you know, if somebody says, hey, come, come to our store, we've got everything you need, that means they have had to have stocked up in an expectation of what you're going to buy. Well, Paul says we can depend upon God through Jesus Christ. He's going to supply everything we need because as God, he knows everything we do need and already has taken care of it. Exactly right. Um, so we, one of the classic examples is Joseph in the Old Testament. And I'm, I'm looking at, I'm not able to keep up with all the chatting that's going on in the chat room, Jim. There's a lot of people chatting over there. Uh, but I see on one comment that someone mentioned what is probably the other classic example in the Old Testament. There are lots of examples. The other classic is Esther. Right. You know, in, in the case of Esther, uh, Mordecai, who was her near kinsman, discovered a plot against the Jews. The, the uh, Haman, evil Haman, had a plot in mind that would, if carried out, effectively annihilate the entire Jewish race. Right. And uh, Mordecai discovered this. And so he goes to Esther, who had by what appears to be no, nothing miraculous to take place. She had been chosen as the new queen. Right. Uh, and and the famous quote there in Esther chapter 4. Four. Uh, verse 14. Yeah, verse beginning in uh, 
uh, verse 13, Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? That's the famous phrase there, Jim. And right. I, and I think that that's part of the idea of providence. Providence, by its nature, you can't say, oh, that's it. That's prov- that's God's providence at yeah. work. Because it, it is of such a nature that you you can look back. And and here, by revelation, we can look back and right, see it. Right. But in, in the moment of its occurrence, you can't say whether that's necessarily God at work or not. That's the nature of providence. Well, and that's why I say, you know, once we, we unfold in, in looking at God's word and we see the concept of, of providence, there are so many different uh, uh, stories, characters that we can go back and we can look at their life and we can say, wait a minute, that's God's providence. Look at, think about Daniel. You know, think about Daniel being taken to Babylon. All of that is God's providence. Think about the Jews being taken into Babylonian captivity. That's all of God's providence. And it, and it wasn't miraculous. No, no. Everything was just happening as it might happen naturally. Right. But God was using those natural things to re, to accomplish his purposes. Right, right. Uh, and again, you know, we can, we can mention just about uh, any uh, event that we can see unfolding in the Old Testament as being further evidence of, and uh, you get to, you know, New Testament passages then that maybe take on a little bit more meaning. You know, Romans 15, verse 4, you know, what sort of things are written aforetime, written for our learning, that we through patience and comforts of the Scripture might have hope. Well, one of the things that God is showing us is don't worry. You know, if you're my child, things are going to work out. No matter what anybody does, they're not going to be able to undo what I've already got planned. That's sometimes amazing to me that people act like human beings can thwart the will of God. Right. It cannot be done. God is going to bring his will to, to effect. He's, he's going to accomplish what he wants. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Arthur in Kalioka sends in just a, a passage, Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. And I think the idea there are the promises made to Abraham right. that led all the way up to the coming of the Messiah, his right. seed, Jesus Christ. And uh, so God there... Probably a combination we see in that, both physical blessings that God would bring upon the nation of Israel and the spiritual blessings of sending a Savior through that through that bloodline. Well, and, and just think about the concept of the promises themselves. When God made those promises to uh, Abram, he said, in effect, here are things that are going to happen. It is, a, it is a guarantee of God. So we move forward then again to the New Testament. We think about a passage like, I think it's Titus 1, verse 2, it says, and, uh, where Paul says, and God who can not lie promised eternal life well when god says something then it's going to happen you know sometimes i think about you know my mind uh, just in imagination thinking about what it was like to have been standing at the cross watching jesus die on the cross as his disciples and how downcast they would have been and dejected maybe believing that well this is it you know this is the end but it was all part of God's providence to to create a wonderful existence for us. Here's a here's a question that kind of follows what we've been saying here, Jim. Uh, from Indiana comes this question: Would some people say that providence is predestination? And then here's a Webster definition: Providence, often capitalized, is divine guidance or care. God conceived as the power sustaining and guiding human destiny. Would some people say providence is predestination? In other words, what's how would we how would we say 
if God knows these things are going to happen and he brings about his will, are we all just programmed into this clockwork and it just happens and we don't really have any, I mean, we're just, we're just doing what we were programmed to do? Well, I think that, you know, part of the problem we deal with in predestination is that we allow the people of the world to define what predestination is. If you go back to, say, a passage in in the Old Testament like Deuteronomy 28 where God says, you know, you're my people. If you do all these things, here's the end result. But if not, here are all these plagues that are going to come on you. Well, there's a, a predestined outcome, one good, one bad. And God says if you'll do these things, then you are guaranteed an outcome. It's predestined because he's already predetermined it and provided for it. And then if you don't do what he says, he, he, he says in, in Deuteronomy 28, if you don't do these things, here are the plagues that are come, come on you. Here are the, here's the punishment. Yeah, that's predestined. If we look at it from a standpoint of God in effect saying, here is what I want you to do, and if you do that, here's the outcome, it's predestined. Exactly right. But it's not the idea of Calvinism, which says he chose you to be saved before you were ever born, and he chose me to be lost, and we're just stuck. And then there's nothing you can do to be saved, and there's nothing I can do to be unsaved. Right. It, It. you know, it, it takes away the promises of God. And w- what point do God's promises fulfill if I can do nothing to make them come true and can do nothing to thwart them? Exactly. Why even say them? Exactly right. Exactly right. We're going to go to a break. We've got some more, quite a bit more to say about these uh, questions concerning God's providence. And we want to talk about uh, all the evil that exists in the world. The next question we want to look at, and we want to get your thoughts on it, send us an email or call us. We'd like to get you on the air, 877-381-4567. Send us an email, questions at collegeview.com. We're going to go to this question, how do we harmonize God's providence with the fact that there's so much suffering in the world? If he's there and he's caring for us, how come people are hurting? That's a question that really troubles a lot of people. I see that there are still a number of people chatting away in the chat room. You can get to that chat room by uh, going to the address, going to the Internet address that you see at the bottom of the screen there where you're seeing the video of our program tonight. We're not monitoring that chat room. Don't have don't have the capacity to do that. We just I'm just kind of watching it as it unfolds there. Uh, but there's uh, several people chatting in the chat room. You can join them to chat there. But we'd like to have you chat with us too, by, by way of email or phone call. And we'll be back right after this break. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. We would like to think that it never happens, but it does. It can develop in a hundred different ways. A word misspoken, a deed misunderstood, an unintended offense, an oversight, a taunt, a direct challenge, a premeditated injury. The result is that we have an enemy. He is mean, unrelenting, and tries to hurt us whenever possible. What can we do? Worldly wisdom says that we should use every possible means to protect ourselves against him. A good offense, they say, is the best defense, or do unto others before they can do unto you. We are encouraged to strike out at our enemy. Use whatever means we can to ensure that we get the better of him before he can get an advantage on us. If someone must be hurt, let it be him rather than me. Fight fire with fire. And if he ever succeeds in delivering a blow to me, then I hit him back harder. An eye for an eye is a popular, though misunderstood, Bible expression. The Lord's wisdom is just the opposite. He urges us to love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. 
This is not easy, but in the doing of it, we become more like our, quote, Father, which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. Verse 45 there of Matthew 5. Romans 12, verse 19 says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. We must aggressively seek to reconcile our differences with those who oppose us. We must go the extra mile, as Matthew 5, 31 says. And though many would expect him to make the first step, the Lord tells me to initiate the action. Matthew 18, verses 15 and following. Finally, we must forgive those who have sinned against us for, quote, if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Matthew chapter 6, verse 15. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hello, I'm Nick Law from Jennings, Florida. I love to listen to the virtual Bible study and hear God's word taught every Thursday night. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now back to the program. And we're back, and we look forward to uh, discussing this important subject of God's providence. We're going to go to the top of the hour. We'd love to have your participation with us. You can send us an email. You can give us a phone call. You can get in the chat room and chat with some others, but we'd like you to chat with us, too, if you get a chance to give us your thoughts. We want to go to a question that I think troubles a lot of people, Jim, and that is uh, if God is taking care of things, and you know, maybe, maybe in an oversimplified uh, way, that's what we're we're saying providence is, God taking care of things. If he's taking care of things, how come there's so much trouble? How, how come so much hurting and, and pain in the world? Let me give you, let me, before I, I want you to answer this, because I want to pin you down on this, but here, here's, here's a, the sort of dilemma. A whiskey store burns down, and some are quick to say that's God's judgment against that evil whiskey and the people selling it. Okay, But then... The house of a faithful Christian burns down. Uh, where's God's providence? Why wasn't he protecting the house of that Christian? Or here's another one. Two men get sick. One is a saint. The other is a sinner. The saint, although many people pray for him, proceeds to die. And the sinner recovers. And nobody prayed for him, including himself. And the question is, uh, how come? Uh, you know, how, how do we explain the fact that there is this hurting and even hurting by good people, good people having bad things happen to them. Okay, let's deal with the Satan sinner because I think that we have an example in the Bible of that. Okay. Stephen and Saul. Okay. Now, we can look at that as the providential care of God in that, you know, Stephen as a, as a child of God, believing in the concept of heaven, being prepared for heaven, part of what the Bible teaches us is that we should be prepared because we don't know when. When you look at the life of Stephen, it has a a wonderful ending in that, yes, he suffered a cruel, cruel death, but he fulfilled the promises of God and the belief of God, and he was able to see Jesus standing in heaven, and he's welcomed into heaven. So, and here's the good guy, and we say, well, the good guy has a bad ending. No, he doesn't. He gets to go to heaven. Well, then there's the bad guy, Saul, who helped uh, hold the coats of those who stoned them. And then as Acts chapter 8 unfolds, he begins to persecute the church. Well, God's providence through that persecution, through him going along these ways, provides for him, in effect, to hear the gospel and to be saved. So there's how God's providence works. You know, part of what we deal with is that we are very much overcome with the emotion of suffering, and we don't want anybody to suffer. 
But one of the things that suffering does as part of God's plan that, that sometimes is difficult for all of us to understand is that suffering fixates our mind uh, on God because there are things that we just cannot do ourselves. No matter what we try, we cannot do these things ourselves. We need some help. It also gives us a greater understanding of the concept of hope. You know, if life were just wonderful all the time, we wouldn't have a really good concept of hope. But hope is that which focuses our mind on the eternal. And and when we suffer, you know, uh, we, we can think of James chapter 1 and thinking about the concept of patience and faith. The examples we gave, you know, all of these people that we've been looking at, whether it's Jesus or whether it's Joseph or, you know, any of the, the Old Testament characters like Moses, they all suffered. There was not a single one of them that had a life that was just, you know, uh, uh, strawberry and, and, and whipped cream. You know, they all suffered. And enduring through that suffering, according to God's plan, then they were able to see fulfilled his will and be united with him in fellowship for eternity. I think this is an important thing. And I think maybe this is where a lot of people miss the miss the the idea. Ultimately, God's providence is more concerned with our spiritual well-being than right. our physical. Right. And we're not denying that God right. takes care of us physically. Right. We, we know that he does. But his primary emphasis, and ours for that matter, should be on spiritual things and eternity. We're only here for a short time. Right. Uh, well, and well, so we, we need to see the, the, the big picture. And as you said, in, in the case of Stephen and Saul, we think, poor old Stephen, here's the good guy who ends up with a bad ending. No. He 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 saw Jesus at the right hand of God, and all, we, every indication is he was going to be there with him. You know what? What have we heard of saying? There are a lot of people that want to uh, live like Jezebel but die like Elijah. You yeah, know. Yeah. Well, you know, here's here's Stephen. Uh, we wouldn't want his death, but we would surely want his outcome. But you can't have the outcome without uh, the the living the life that he lived. And, you know, even if we were to go back to Joseph, how many times in the book of Genesis does it say, "But God was with him," or they saw that the spirit of God was with him? Joseph refused to do anything evil, even though he was forced with, you know, a negative outcome. He said, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And then he gets lifted up by God. Yeah. uh, And so what you see there is that even though bad things happen to him, God could cause it to his good. And he does that for us, too. For instance, Mm -hmm. poverty, persecution, affliction, sickness, a lot of things may develop in us a stronger spiritual nature, making us more the kind of spiritual people what God wants. I think it'd be a fair statement, Jim. Anything that happens to us and at the end of that process or that event, if we turned out to be stronger spiritually than we were when we started, you could say it was a good thing. Well, sure. You know, when we look at that passage in Romans eight twenty eight, you know, that God can make all things work out to good. That doesn't mean that everything happens that happens to us is good. That's not what that passage is saying. It is saying that the eventual outcome God can make work to our good. Well, let's go back again to some of the, the terrible things that happened in uh, the Bible. You know, the, the nation of Judah being taken into Babylonian captivity. Nobody that saw Jerusalem fall, nobody that was put in chains and dragged to Babylon would have said, this is a good thing. I'm really happy this is happening. But that was God's way to protect them from all the hordes that were going to come down and destroy the city. He brought them to that great empire of Babylon. He secured them there for 70 years. And then when everything was taken care of, he removed the problems that existed among them and brought them back. You look at the crucifixion of Jesus, who at that point would have said, what a wonderful thing this is. But it was all part of God's providential care. Exactly right. You know, the Apostle Paul had a pretty good 
outlook on this when he talked about his own thorn in the flesh in Second Corinthians chapter 12. In Second Corinthians chapter 12, beginning verse 7, he said, Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. He's, in other words, if it makes me stronger, it's worth it. Right. If it right. makes me stronger, I'll endure whatever it takes to become a, a better person as God would have me to be. Well, you know, here's another example to think about. Acts chapter 27, you know, Paul's on his way to Rome. And they're on this ship, and this ship is going to break up, and it's going to flounder, you know. And we look at Acts chapter 27, and in verse 21, it says, After long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, ye should have hearkened unto me, and not have loosed from Crete, to have gained this harm and loss. Now I exhort you to be of good cheer. For there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God. I mean, there's a wonderful lesson uh, that unfolds itself there. But what what Paul is saying is there's going to be loss here. You're going to lose the ship. You're going to lose the cargo. You know, people are going to have their fortunes destroyed. But he says there's not going to be any loss of life. And when all of that happens, it reinforces the promise of God that God said, here's what's going to happen. Here's the outcome. It happened exactly that way. I see in the chat room here someone has mentioned, Jim, uh, we have a tendency to classify the good things that happen to us as, quote, providence, and we classify the bad things as, quote, God is punishing us, and that's not necessarily the case at all. No, it's not. And, uh, you know, if I can mention, you know, I've been uh, using a workbook. It's called uh, The Providence of God by Gene Tope. It's, a, it's an excellent workbook, and he talks about that exact same thing. He said, you know, what we do is when something good happens to us because we were looking for that good, we say it's the providence of God. When something bad happens to us, we say, why did this happen? And we don't see the two as both being able to make us better spiritually and both being part of God's plan. Again, look at Daniel being taken into captivity. Look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The things that unfolded unto them, we would not say were wonderful, good, happy things. But there they stand as fantastic examples of faith that God then uses to encourage us today. Yeah, uh, I was thinking in Second Corinthians 8 of the Macedonians, Paul said, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded into the riches of their liberality. Paul said they had been afflicted and they had been in poverty, and yet it, they were able to use that Right. To become better people, be, right. be the kind of people God wanted them to be. Uh, real quickly, let me look at some emails here. And by the way, we're trying to keep an eye on our email all night, so send us an email, questions at collegeview.com. Give us a phone call, one eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Jump in the chat room. A lot of chatting going on there, several in the chat room talking. Uh, <clears throat> Anthony says, concerning this business of suffering he says god did not create evil note that when god created all things he said they were quote very good genesis 1 
Satan really is the first sign of the evil we see, and this did not come from God. We don't know everything about the origin of Satan, but we know he chose to reject God and pursue evil. Evil exists because God gave mankind free choice, and when we choose to go against God's will, evil and suffering result. Now, yeah, that's I, I agree with Anthony's point. In other words, evil is in the world because God's will was rejected and men did something different. Now, innocent people may suffer. But the suffering that exists in the world is, was not by God's original plan. It came about as a consequence of, of men, some men, some time, choosing to do evil. Right. And, and even if you think about uh, Satan, you know, the, the big question that we always have is, you know, why did God allow Satan to do what he did? Why did, you know, God allow Satan to, to bring this evil in the world? And I think the simple answer that we find in the book of Job is that God's confidence in us is greater than Satan's confidence in us. Satan believes we're always going to choose the easy way and do the wrong thing. And God believes that we will choose the right way and do the right thing. And what God's word does is unfolds unto us that no matter where a person has lived throughout history, no matter what empire they have lived under, no matter what form of government, there are individuals who can choose the right way according to God's will to do the right thing and to endure with the problems of life and come out on the good and the end. Okay. Uh, we've got, um, Keith who says God's providence does not take away suffering. Sometimes, however, God can use it for good to his glory. Paul suffered greatly in, uh, in contentment, I might add, but in doing so, even those of Caesar's household were converted to the gospel. Maybe, maybe in confinement he meant there. Yeah. And then Mike says, uh, men, the Bible teaches God allows suffering for three reasons. Violation of God's law. Mankind has sinned on earth, thus we have inherited the consequences of that sin. And thus suffering almost always comes with death. This is not God's fault, but man's. The violation of natural law. For instance, Romans 1, 26 and 28 tells us how homosexuals went against God's law and, and nature. And it says they received in themselves the penalty of the error which was due. And God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which were not fitting not only were they affected physically and spiritually, but also mentally. Number three, the chastisement of God. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent, Revelation 3.19. When we stray from God's ways, he may likely punish us. I can't recall the number of times I've witnessed others come down with life-threatening condition and even a death in the family which caused their minds to turn from the world and toward things of a spiritual nature. Number four, the attacks of Satan. One need only study the book of Job to understand that Satan will buffet the righteous in order to cause them to stumble. And number five, suffering is sometimes beneficial. Suffering serves as a reminder that we should not love this world, for it is vanishing from us. Peter reminded us of our eternal abode when he called us sojourners and pilgrims, and that we should abstain from the fleshly lusts which war against the soul, First Peter 2, verse 1. When we think suffer, uh, when thinking that suffering would be unfair for God to allow, we might want to be thankful he did not feel that way when he sent his son to die the most gruesome death in our stead. Well, and following along with that, that fifth one example he gives, you know, I was reminded of what Jesus said in John 15, verse 20. Remember the word that I said unto you. So Jesus is saying, I've already told you this. Now I'm going to remind you again. The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. So one of the things that Jesus is telling us is that God's going to allow us to be persecuted because it is further evidence that we are faithful to him. Right. If we're doing what Jesus did and we get the same results that Jesus got, then that's evidence in our life we're doing the right thing. And sometimes that evidence is going to be negative. It's going to be a little bit discomforting. There you go. Very good. All right. We're going to go to our last break. We're going to go to the top of the hour discussing this in our 
final question we want to look at is what means, methods, elements, people, etc. might be used by God providentially. We want to talk about that. Uh, give us some ideas what you think some of the ways and means that God might use to work providentially in the world today. We'll get to that right after this break. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. Do you remember when the emphasis of the work of the church was on teaching the gospel, converting the lost, and strengthening the saints? Can you recall good old-fashioned gospel preaching that appealed to the Bible as the sole and final authority in all religious matters? Are you tired of seeing churches that seem much more interested in social events and entertainment than in simply following the New Testament pattern? Would you love to hear lessons from the pulpit like you used to hear? Do you want to find a church that is still doing things the way you remember from years ago? If these things describe the way you are feeling, please visit us soon. Come and see. Visit us at the College View Church of Christ. Hi, my name is Zach Coleman, and when I'm listening to the virtual Bible study, I love to hear comments from other listeners. So please join in tonight's discussion by sending an email or by making a phone call. The address is questions at collegeview.com, and the phone number is toll-free, 877-381-4567. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. And we're back for the final 15 minutes of the program. My friend Jim Walsh is joining me tonight as we discuss this uh, subject of I think a really intriguing and interesting subject God's providence we are all the benefactors of it we're all the recipients of God's blessings and his providential care as we sometimes say God taking care of things he's taking care of us I think it's very important to remember that the, the main emphasis of God's concern for us is spiritual and we although I think sometimes, Jim, we focus on the physical. I mean, right. That, that's yeah, our, our, our inclination is to say, well, you know, I was sick. Yeah. And so God maybe wasn't taking care of me and I got sick. Maybe, I, maybe he's using this sickness to help refine me and make me stronger. You know, part of what we deal with is that we do not know what the future holds. We don't know how things are going to unfold. We have a preconceived notion in our mind of the way we want things to be. And so when we don't see those things happen, we think, okay, what's wrong? But it may be that the reason things are not going the way we want them to go is because God has something better planned for us. Exactly right. And, um, you know, you were talking about, you know, how can we see some events unfolding today? Well, you know, you look at the economic situation. Well, the you know, when you've got plenty of money to do what you want to do when you want to do it, you don't think about things. But now that people are, are experiencing some uh, economic distress, people have to pull back and they have to reevaluate their life, what they're spending, what they're doing, where they're going. And it may be that, you know, this is going to work to our benefit in that we stop being wasteful in every aspect of our life. Not just the monetary ones. There you go. So it, it, again, we might not see it in the moment, but in the in the long term, it might be in our best interest. Uh, Mike, this is this is an email from Mike about some of the methods God might use in the Old Testament. We see God using kings and rulers, unrighteous armies ruled by wicked men. We see Him directing the paths of the righteous, and even use the Romans, Judas, and the Jews in concert to crucify His Son. For the salvation of mankind, he used the elements, angels, frogs, locusts, fleas, etc. In the book of Exodus and even Balaam's donkey in Numbers 22, 28, God uses nature and at time defies every natural law. His providence crosses all boundaries of sex, race and gender. Kind of interesting. Well, you know, it made me think of Jonah. You know, here we have in Jonah chapter 1, we have the situation. God says he wants Jonah to go to Nineveh, preach to Nineveh, so they'll repent. Jonah doesn't want to do it. They're the enemies, the Ninevites are the enemies of the Israelites. He doesn't want to go. He leaves. 
Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, it says, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. So here's God's, in a miraculous sense, obviously, but providentially, God is making provision to teach Jonah a lesson that all of us should fully understand when we recognize the sovereignty of God, and that is you can't escape him. You can't leave his presence. And thinking about the concept of providence, when God has something he wants us to do, he's going to give us every indication that he wants it done. Okay. Uh, Anthony says in Hebrews 1, verse 13 through 14, that uh, anything that God has created, he can use to achieve his will. I think that's an interesting way to put it. And Keith says, uh, I don't know that we always understand when God is working providentially. I don't think we do at the time. No, no, no. And that's what I'm saying. You know, we think of life in a certain way. And God knows what the end result is going to be. And so there is provision being made. And the only way that we're going to know at the end that everything was done the right way is if we do it according to God's will. Okay. Uh, we, we mentioned that, and I think Mike mentioned, he might use uh, wicked armies. You know, in the Old Testament, sometimes he used wicked nations to right. accomplish his purposes. Right. Uh, notice that uh, he said... Uh, uh, well, I'm looking at some Old Testament passages where he used evil nations, uh, an evil nation to punish one that was relatively better. For instance, he used the Assyrians to punish Israel. Right. Israel was wicked. Assyria was probably far more wicked. It was worse, yeah. Uh, in Second Kings chapter 18, beginning verse 11, the king of Assyria did carry away Israel into Assyria because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant. And all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded would not hear them nor do them. In other words, God used the Assyrian army to punish Israel. Uh, and then... A hundred years later, he used Babylon to carry Judah away. And notice what he said in Jeremiah 25, beginning verse 8. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because ye have not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, saith the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land and against the inhabitants thereof and against all these nations round about and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment and a hissing. He said, that in this matter, Nebuchadnezzar was his servant. Right. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't faithful. He wasn't a believer in God, but he served God's purpose. Well, you know, again, you know, just thinking of some other things, you mentioned the Assyrians. Uh, Second Kings chapter 5, dealing with Naaman. We know the story of Naaman the leper, and he, and he ends up uh, uh, washing in the river Jordan seven times, and he's cleansed. Well, one interesting thing is that the Syrians had taken some of the Israelites captive. And so we read in Second uh, Kings chapter 5 and in verse 2, it says, The Syrians had gone out by companies, had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. You know, God uses male, female. You know, it doesn't matter. If an individual remained faithful to God, then God is going to utilize that individual to help provide for someone else. And here's a, a young woman taken captive, very much like thinking, you know, later on it's going to happen to Daniel and his friends. She's taken captive, removed from her home. This is not good. But she remains faithful to God, and she says, if you'll go look for uh, evidence of my God, then he'll take care of you. And that's exactly what happened. So how did God provide for Naaman? He provided through that maid who was taken captive from her home. Exactly right. Um, it, you know, I think it's probably very troubling us to think that God could use evil people to accomplish his purposes. But that that's not saying that he excuses the evil. No, no. For instance, we were saying that he used the Babylonians right. to 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 exercise his punishment against Judah. Right. And the prophet Habakkuk actually complained about that. 
Right. Uh, in Habakkuk 1, verse 13, Habakkuk says, Why dost thou look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Why art thou silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? And God answers by basically saying, well, they're going to get theirs too. Right. Uh, in chapter 2 of Habakkuk, verse 6, Shall not all these take up a parable against him and a taunting proverb against him and say, Woe to him that increaseth that which is not his? How long? Shall, thou not, shall they not rise up suddenly that shall bite thee and awake that shall vex thee and thou shalt be for booties unto them? Because thou hast spoiled many nations, all the remnant of the people shall spoil thee because of men's blood and for the violence of the land and of the city and of all that dwell therein. So his, God's answer to Habakkuk, when Habakkuk says, how could you use the Babylonians to punish us? He says, don't worry, I'll take care of that too. Right, right. And and again, it's a wonderful book. It, there are several wonderful lessons that are that are in here. And, you know, one of them is found in, in chapter 2, verse 20, where it just says, the Lord is in his holy temple, let all the earth keep silent before him. One of the things that's saying is that God's in control. God knows what's going on. The earth is going to be silent before him when he exercises his will. We won't be able to make any response to his will because it's going to be exercised. That's right. And he's going to bring it to pass. He's going to bring it to pass. Uh, and and no matter what men might do, I, I think our finite minds have a little bit of trouble getting around this. Right. That we have free choice. Right. That we that that God has not pre-programmed every event in our life, and that we're just going through a, sort of a of, of a, a, a play or, or or some kind of a unwinding clock which God has set into motion. We have choice. We can affect things in our own lives. We we can choose to do good or evil. God, though, will use whatever we do to ultimately result to his purposes. You know, for instance, here's here's a question. Judas in the New Testament, when he betrayed Jesus, a lot of people have some problem with that. Was, was he, in other words, it was predicted he would do this. Was his free will taken away in that matter? I don't think so. I think I think as all men, he had free will, and it just was so that God could use his evil deed to bring about his purposes if judah if judas had chosen to do what was right i think god would have brought about his purposes in some other way right you know i I don't think it's it's a matter of some people get upset because they think well god's controlling us i think in one respect what it is is that god has seen what is going to happen and how it's going to happen he has seen the choices we're going to make before we make them he can see the end from he can see the end from the beginning you know um and maybe this is not a perfect example but anybody that's played chess you know, a chess master can think several moves ahead, and he can know at any given point of of all the different pieces on the board what your next move is going to be and what the outcome will be of that move, and he can plan to prepare to thwart it. And if you play someone like that, it's it's you know uh, it's a real pain because you know they can they can defeat you in about you know, ten or eleven. One move at no, a time. they're not. They're not. And you know it's not that God's a chess master in that respect, but God knows what the outcome is going to be. He knows what the choices are. And being in being infinite in in that realm, he can pr- provide for whatever choice we decide to make. If we want to go this way, he's got something here, and if we want to go this way, he's got something there. He doesn't take away our choice; he just has something prepared for whatever choice we make. Yeah, it's not like it's not like if we don't do this one thing that if if we did this one thing, oh God says, oh I didn't I didn't I didn't anticipate that. I don't right, know, I don't right. know, I don't know what to what do. What am I going to do now? Yeah, right. Cuz like that's what that. we deal with. Yeah, yeah, that's the way we do things. Right. That's not the way God does. Yeah. Uh Arthur and Kalioka has sent in uh, another passage Hebrews 13:5 and 6. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do to me. That's the confidence we need to have. Right. That God is going to do what he promised to do. He'll never forsake us. 
we're not going to live forever in this present world. And so, I mean, there's going to be something that's going to come along because God has said it's going to be so. It's appointed unto men once to die and after this the judgment. So we're not going to live forever. We cannot say somehow God forsook me and I died. Right, no. right. This is talking about eternally. He's he's on our side. If we faithfully serve him, he will he will take care of us. Well, well, it's an underlying theme throughout the whole Bible. God is with us. God wants to be with us. God has provided a way to be with us. Now, the choice is, do we want to be with him? Exactly right. Lots of good things to think about. And we just really, Jim, I think we sort of just touched the hem of the garment. Right, there. right. So much to think about. And really, as as we said at the outset, God is taking care of so many things. He's thinking in so many different directions and taking care of so many things simultaneously. It just boggles the mind to even try to comprehend it. But we have great promises of God's providence and many examples, biblical examples. Probably, although I don't think it's fruitful to do so, probably we could get people to to recite many instances in their own experience where they feel like God was providentially providing. Those things don't necessarily prove the fact, but the Bible examples definitely do. And so uh, we appreciate all the, the good uh, input tonight. Jim, thanks for your help. Well, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 you could foresee that. Huh? I could foresee that you were going to say thanks for your help. <laughs> <laughs> we do appreciate you being here tonight, and we appreciate all who have been listening to us on the Internet tonight and participating. Uh, mark your calendars for next Thursday night, and Lord willing, we'll be back. Uh, same time, same place. We look forward to you joining us for the virtual Bible study at that time. Remember that we have a regular email update list. Send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Say, put me on the list. We'll do that. Or we got a new feature. We're sending updates out by Twitter. If you're on Twitter, uh, uh, you can follow us there, and we'll give you regular updates. It's pretty easy to join Twitter if you're not on it already. Uh, I found out about that this week. And so we, you can get on Twitter, and we'll get you our updates that way. But, again, until next week, we encourage you to read your Bible every day, study it, and live by it. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study tonight. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.